Have you ever realized that you are standing in the presence of greatness? Where you're at, greatness is before you. So I'm having that moment right now. Right now. Yeah. Aw, he's so nice. <laughs> Love it. Uh, That's good. Did she blush? I'm colorblind. Yeah. I can't no, tell. No. But <laughs> this last week, we were on spring break, or our kids were on spring break, and so we took a vacation to Whistler in Canada, and we got to ski um, at Whistler. And if you've ever been there, it is magnificent. The mountains are just gorgeous. There's snow. The, it, we, we hit the, the weather was perfect, like so sunny and gorgeous. And so for two days, we actually got to ski, and I skied. And unlike Micah, I'm a pretty cautious um, skier. <laughs> I'm a pretty pretty cautious person in general, uh, but I really enjoy it. And so I hit the greens, and I was going down the mountain. And as I go down the mountain, you know, I take the big zigzags, so I go nice and slow. And I'm talking to myself, giving myself these little pep talks. You can do it. I know that looks steep, but you can do it. And so I'm talking to myself and really enjoying it, but also working really hard because because it's just a lot of work for me. But there were two instances when I realized that I was in the presence of greatness. One, The first day, I came up on a little family, and it was two parents and this little guy who was literally two feet tall. Literally, he could not have been more than two feet tall. He looked so tiny that he didn't look big enough to walk. And yet he was on skis and his dad was skiing backwards, like having, looking at him, telling him to come forward. And his mom was skiing behind him, pushing him along whenever he needed it. And as I passed by, dad had stopped. And so I, I asked, how old is your, is your kid there? And he was two years old at two years old. And I left smiling and thinking, that's amazing. Like that is greatness right there. And then the second day I was skiing and it was towards the end of the day and I was really tired by then. So I'm going down the mountain talking to my knees. Hey knees, stay in line. Don't do anything crazy. And, um, and some, yes, I was talking to my knees. Yeah. The the fact you're talking to your knees is crazy to begin with. So that was (laughs) a little ironic. When you're me and you've been skiing two days, you need to talk to your knees. Um, But someone just zooms by me. And so after they zoom by me, I mean, not super close, but I could, like, wind gushing, like I could feel it. I look up and I see this man skiing down the mountain with one leg. And he had one ski on, and he was going about twice the speed of everyone else, super graceful, and just swishing back and forth down the mountain. And I was like, wow, what, what an amazing, amazing thing. I was amazed and awed by the greatness around me. Not just the scenic greatness, the beauty uh, around me, but the people around me. And I was reminded that I needed to look up. Not not look down and talking to my knees, but look up and and see what was going on around me. And isn't that true in life, that we are invited to look up and to look out and to see the amazing things that God is doing? Absolutely. So today we look up, we look out, and uh, we're talking resurrection today. But as you can imagine, anytime the discussion is resurrection, there's a backstory to it. So give me just a moment as we walk through and orient ourselves in the story of Jesus and resurrection that we'll be talking about today. From the beginning, it was apparent that Jesus was someone special. After all, a virgin birth, 
right? The Roman rulers are hunting for him as a baby. Um, He was recognized by people in the temple. Maybe the Messiah has finally come to Israel. Yet as Jesus began his public ministry, his message and the tone of things just didn't match all the fanfare you would expect from a a Messiah having come to earth. Uh, It didn't look or sound like what Israel would hope for in a king. As he began calling his disciples, his closest followers to himself, to to follow him, come, and he will experience transformation in life, truly it was a group of people that needed transformation in life. Incredibly ordinary and sometimes even disdained people within society Jesus calls to be his closest followers. His ministry revolved not around the great and powerful and beautiful of society, but instead uh, it revolved around the marginalized, the sick the hurting in society. Jesus taught on a number of subjects, a few that are repeated over and over in his life and ministry had to do with love. He says, love God and love your neighbors. Uh, He spoke continually about the, the kingdom of God that was coming into this world. There is a kingdom other than Rome, other than Israel, the kingdom of God that was coming into this world, that was breaking into this world, bringing love and hope and light into this world. And thirdly, he spoke against the religious rulers and the powers of the nation. And in so doing, naturally, it put him at odds with the rulers of Israel. So eventually, they have him arrested. They put him through a a false trial, a hoax of a trial, and then they crucify him, and he's buried in a tomb. Today, we start reading in Luke chapter 24, starting in verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the the eleven and to the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen uh, lying by themselves. And he went away wondering to himself what had happened. So after the Sabbath, after on the third day, after Jesus had been crucified, the women who had been following Jesus, Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, to name a few, they, they took the spices for Jesus's body and they went to the tomb. And what's fascinating to me um, in this story is that this is a first century 
Um, in Israel here, this is a very patriarchal culture, and women weren't allowed really to travel or to learn. And yet these women had not only traveled with Jesus, but had been invited to learn from him and to experience the miracles of healing that he was doing and to witness all of Jesus's teachings and miracles. And so there were disciples of Jesus that followed him. And they were, they were there. These women had traveled with Jesus. They had witnessed all the things that had happened to him, his brutal execution. They had witnessed, they had stood there as, as he was hastily buried before the Sabbath. And, and can you just put yourself in their shoes for a minute and imagine what they were feeling? This roller coaster of emotions from, from get, being invited to be disciples of Jesus and, and learn from him the freedom and excitement that must have been there to watching him crucified, the anguish and, and the heartbreak of that. And yet through it all, these women remain committed to Jesus. And so after the Passover, after the Sabbath, they gathered the spices and they went to the tomb fully expecting to find the dead body of Jesus in the tomb. And yet instead, they find a stone rolled away and men gleaming like lightning, angels appeared to them. And they described to the women what had happened. And I think this is a remarkable moment as the women will be the first to come to realize uh, what has happened. Having witnessed all of Jesus' ministry, now they'll be the first to witness what is happening in this moment. The angels say to them, why do you look for the living amongst the dead? Who goes to a graveyard to find living things, right, is the question they're asking. He's not here, but he has risen. Remember what he told you. Son of man must be delivered over into the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then they remembered his words. Death had no hold on Jesus. Three days later, he rose again. I mean, can you just imagine them trying to process this, this scene that's unfolding before them? The, the stone rolled away and the angels and the news that he has risen. And they knew Jesus. They, they knew that he was the son of God, the Messiah. They'd seen him perform miracles. They had heard him teach, I am the resurrection and the life. They had seen him raise people from the dead, these miraculous things over and over. And now these angels declaring, that he has risen. The magnitude and the implications of Jesus's resurrection are great. And it is beautiful that, like you said, that these women are the first ones to hear this extraordinary news and the first ones to get to share it. It's interesting in the text to contrast the uh, excitement and understanding of the women with the ignorance of the men. The women go and they tell the men what they had experienced, what has happened. And the men gave that blank, confused stare. You guys familiar with this? Anyone resonating with this? Uh, my wife comes Not to me. Not that we're stereotyping or anything. Well, let, let, me, let me just speak for myself then. Um, Sarah comes to me and says, hey, let's take the dog for a walk. And I look up at her and I say nothing, just stare confused. I have mastered this art uh, that the disciples are demonstrating here. They stare confused. What in the world these women's words sound like, uh, what's the word, sound like foolishness to them. You know, this is a fascinating moment and a really important one uh, that we recognize. Uh, in first century Israel, um, a woman was not allowed 
to testify in court. Her word was not valid as testimony in a court. And yet Jesus comes and appears first to the women. They will be the bearers of this good news. They will be the witnesses, the first testimony about a risen Savior that the 11 apostles will hear. So Peter, uh, always uh, ambitious, always ready to jump out of the boat or do whatever, uh, runs to the tomb and Actually, it says he remains confused when he sees the linens and the cloths. The other men apparently just stay sitting in that room and also remain confused. And in fact, the theme of confusion will continue because no one really expects what's happening in this moment. It continues in verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were, ta- they were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He said to them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood, they stood still, their faces downcast. And one of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. Let's pause for just a moment and and glance at that realization. Everyone in all of Jerusalem knows what has happened. Why is it that Jesus' crucifixion created such a stir? After all, Rome frequently crucified people. There was men crucified on Jesus' left and right as he hung on that cross. But Jesus was a unique case. You see, when Jesus traveled from village to village, thousands of people were following, trying to touch his robe or wanting to hear what he had to say, hoping to be healed. Jesus was creating a stir throughout Israel. Just recently, as Jesus entered Jerusalem, he had gone to the temple, the most sacred place for these Israelite people, and he turned over the tables and created a scene. He trashed the place and called out again the religious leaders. Jesus was creating a stir in Israel. And for so long, Israel had been hoping for a Messiah, a king, a savior, someone to come and redeem the nation of Israel. Jesus didn't look anything like what they had hoped a king would look like. He wasn't coming to establish Israel uh, as a nation again to throw off the Roman rulers, instead to establish the kingdom of God that he taught so often about. A kingdom of love, a kingdom that was breaking into this world and continues to today. A kingdom in which Jesus is king, God is king, and we get to participate in the good, good things that he is establishing. Israel was hoping for a Messiah, and Jesus did not look like it. And yet thousands of people were following. And some starting to come to the realization question, maybe it isn't going to look like we thought It was going to look like. Maybe Jesus is truly our Messiah, our Savior, come to earth, and then he dies on a cross, and everyone's hope is crushed. And so these disciples are walking down the road to Emmaus, and they don't realize who they're talking to. They don't realize that it's Jesus. And Jesus asks them, well, tell me what's going on. And so they tell Jesus about this guy named Jesus of Nazareth. And they say he he was this prophet, and he was powerful in word and deed, and we had hoped, oh, we had hoped that he would redeem Israel, that he was the long-awaited Messiah, but the religious leaders executed him. 
They crucified him. And, and that was heartbreaking. But now, but now, some of our women are telling us that they went to the tomb. And Jesus, they saw a vision of angels who said that Jesus had risen. And, and we went and we confirmed that the tomb was indeed empty. And they're trying to process this. I can almost hear their bewilderment um, in, in the, the story that they're telling Jesus about Jesus. And so Jesus responds and he, and he says, didn't the Messiah have to suffer all these things? Didn't you know that the Messiah had to suffer in this way? And to their amazement, he, he opens up the scriptures to them and he explains all that the scriptures had prophesied uh, concerning the Messiah who would be uh, the suffering servant king, the suffering servant. And so then they invited Jesus, not knowing that it was Jesus, they invited him to stay with them for the evening I think this theme of suffering is fascinating. From suffering to hope and new life. Some of us find ourselves today maybe in that moment of confusion that we see in the apostles, or maybe in that season of suffering that we see in the story of Jesus. But what's beautiful is today on Easter, we are reminded that after the suffering, after the confusion, comes this new life and new hope, resurrection. The story continues in verse 30. Uh, When he was at the table with them, He took bread, and he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he began to give it to them. Then their eyes were open, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven, and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two uh, told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. I love the phrase in here um, that they ask. They say, we're not our hearts burning within us. I love the image that that creates in my mind. It's, it's this image, like this visceral experience of something really resonating, something really coming together for, for them. Um, in, in my life, I know there's a couple books on my bookshelf that while I was reading, I had one of those experiences. One of, one of them was about personality types and the other one was about healthy leadership. And as I was reading those books, I, I remember just sitting there amazed and, and, and realizing that this author who I never met was putting into words my experiences, was able to articulate what I was experiencing and giving me uh, a better framework to understand what was going on in my life and how I had a choice to engage differently if I wanted. And it was, it was this moment of sitting there reading and realizing everything is shifting how I'm understanding. I have this new understanding that is shifting in my mind, and this understanding can lead to freedom to engage my life and work in healthier rhythms. 
And as I read this story and this phrase, were not our hearts burning within us, I imagine that the disciples had a similar experience like that, that they, you know, they had expected this Messiah to look so different, to come in with military power and to, to conquer Rome and, and, and be the, the king who would liberate them from Rome. And instead, Jesus comes in humility and service and love and is crucified by the Romans. So... But now people were saying that he's alive. So they're, they're just trying to process, trying to figure out where this all fits in. And Jesus describes God's plan from scripture. And it dramatically changes their understanding, dramatically changes their framework. And their hearts are burning within them. This visceral experience, eyes wide open as what God is doing. God's plan is coming together for them. It's a fascinating story. As two men walk down a road, Jesus himself appears to them, and yet initially they don't recognize him. I'm curious sometimes in our life what it might be like to realize that Jesus has been walking with us, that the Spirit has been at work, and yet going so unrecognized in our midst. I had an experience like this years ago. Uh, It was with our younger daughter uh, at about three years old, uh, you know, she first said, yeah, I'd like to say the prayer at our dinner table. And um, she prayed a prayer um, that she continued to pray for years and years. It went like this, uh, dear God, help us to be nice, kind, and loving. Amen. And that was it. And uh Uh, There was nothing about the meal that we were about to eat. There was nothing about, uh, you know, paying our bills or the house we live in or any of the stuff that so often we get concerned with. Her simple prayer that she prayed for years and years, never wavering from the exact words, help us to be nice, kind, and loving. That was one of those moments where, from the mouth of a three-year-old, I realized, oh my goodness, this is Jesus, this is like a word from God for my life. I mean, what's more central to Jesus' ministry than those ideas of love and relationship that she's expressing to us at the dinner table? These two men in the text today find themselves walking down a road, talking with Jesus himself, completely unaware of what's happening in that moment. And I wonder today, as we consider Jesus is risen, he is active and alive. We'll talk more about the Holy Spirit in just a second, but God is speaking to us, walking with us here and now, and today is an invitation to recognize Christ amongst us. As we talk about this idea of of God among us, it's demonstrated in Jesus' promise of the Holy Spirit. When Jesus came, he ushered in a whole new era of God dwelling closely with his people through the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 14, listen to Jesus' promise. He says, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And then skipping down to verse 26, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. 
The Holy Spirit is the very presence of God, the very presence of Christ working within us and working around us that is so very near that we might live within the presence of God, that we might live with God. Jesus' words is, I won't leave you orphans. I, I will be, I will come to you through the Holy Spirit. In Romans 8, Paul writes that the same Spirit who rose Jesus from the dead is the Spirit who lives within us. The Holy Spirit here to teach us, to guide us, to remind us of what Jesus has said and to continue to transform us to be nice, kind, and loving. Those, those loving image bearers uh, of God that we were created to be. Absolutely. In the same text, John 14, that Sarah's reading from, uh, Jesus says to his uh, closest followers, it's good that I'm going away because when I do, the Father will send the Holy Spirit. What a wild claim for Jesus to make to his closest followers. It's good that I'm going away. All this death and resurrection and ascension, this is all good because after it, the Holy Spirit comes. And in fact, it is good because it propelled the entire world into a whole new season. The story plays out in the book of Acts as the Holy Spirit works powerfully. First of all, at Pentecost, that thousands of people in their own language might hear this good news about resurrection and new life and the kingdom of God that is breaking into this world. The Holy Spirit then continues to guide the church, and there's this monumental shift in the church as it moves from a group of Jewish people who believe Jesus was the Messiah to a worldwide movement that has reshaped the course of history. The Holy Spirit was and is at work in powerful ways. So today is Easter. Today we celebrate the resurrection. We declare with... so many people around the world that Jesus has risen, that Jesus is alive. And so today we are invited, Jesus invites us and also all of humanity to new life through his resurrection, a life lived with God through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of Christ is among us. Now, here, and and all over the world. And so we are invited to live by the Spirit. We are invited to keep in step with the Spirit of God, to experience and participate in the new life found in Jesus. And that new life is amazing. (laughs) It's a life of, of love and peace, a life of mercy and grace, a life of forgiveness and healing, of reconciliation and mutuality. And we are invited to anchor ourselves in God and to give ourselves wholeheartedly to whatever good work God wants to do in our lives and in our community and, and all around us. And so today, as we celebrate Easter, reminded that God is with us, God is among us, and wherever you're at in your journey, wherever you've been in your journey, know that you also, all of us, none of us are excluded, all of us are invited to experience and participate in this new life in Jesus. And this invitation is one that affects every aspect of our lives, from our, our, our local, individual little lives here to the global 
um, ways in which we, we engage, um, all humanity in which we share this world with all, all humans. We're invited to new life in Jesus through the spirit and in, in the spirit in very tangible ways brings about God's hope and healing and love. So today, as we um, reflect upon Christ among us, him appearing to his apostles and then dwelling within us in the Holy Spirit, what more uh, physical and real way is there to recognize Christ amongst us than to take communion together today? And so as we begin to close out today, uh, we're going to do exactly that. I'm going to invite the band back up, and they're going to lead us in a song as we take communion. Jesus, just before he was arrested, just before his crucifixion, is sitting at a, at a, t- at a table with his apostles. And uh, he, he takes the bread that's at the table, and he breaks it, and he begins to pass it out to them, hand it around to them. And he says, when you break this bread, uh, remember, my body broken. Jesus' body broken for us. And he takes the wine that's at the table and he passes it around. And he says, as you drink of this wine, remember me. Uh, my, my blood poured out. Jesus' blood poured out for us. And so today we have an opportunity. 2,000 years later, the church has been doing this since that night. Jesus sat around with his apostles. The church has been taking communion, Eucharist, sharing in his body and blood as we remember him, his sacrifice. And of course, today we remember resurrection and hope and new life found in him. Uh, in a very practical way. Let me just explain how this will play out so we're all on the same page. For those that would like to take communion today, you're invited to share in communion with us. We have it in the center, we have it at the backs, and we have it at the front. Um, All of the crackers are gluten-free, by the way. Um, feel free to come and take the bread uh, and, and, and eat that eat that cracker. And remember Jesus' body. Take the juice and take that. Uh, for today, we're going to just take it at the tables as you have opportunity to get to them. So feel free to just take communion as soon as you get there. Uh, after taking communion, feel free to remain standing um, and, uh, and sing with us as, uh, as we begin to close out our service. We're going to take communion in just a moment. Let me pray for us before we do. God... We thank you for this day. Um, today, we remember uh, the hopeful uh, part of this story, God, of resurrection, of new life. And uh, we know that before that came crucifixion and suffering. And so today, as we break bread and as we um, drink of the fruit of the vine, God, we remember uh, your plan and uh, that through the suffering, beyond the suffering, comes new hope and new life. We remember Jesus, his sacrifice. We remember, God, your good work, and Holy Spirit, thank you that you're with us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So today we remember resurrection. Jesus rose from the dead, and we too are invited to find new life and new hope in him. Amen? Amen. Amen.